right, so if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2. That's where we'll be. We'll take a break from Matthew. Uh, that being said, we're, we're actually going to refer to it quite a bit. Um, so you may want to keep your thumb in Matthew 7, but, but open up to the main passage of Colossians. This is the problem with having a big boy Bible. You got to flip and flip and flip and flip to get to Colossians. I know it's in here. There we go. Okay. I, I, I have this sermon for three different people in mind. So if I start to sound like I'm crazy, it's because I'm trying to preach to three separate groups at once. One is the church as a whole. One is us who have been saved and have been baptized and who love the Lord with all our heart. The second group are the, the girls who are going to be baptized today. I want them to hear the wonderful, fantastic layout that we have that will show them what they have to look forward to in life. Now, they already get to experience. They're already saved, right? We're not, we're not waiting for today to get them saved. But what baptism means and, and the, what they got to look forward to as they grow and challenges come about. Also, want, if anyone in here does not know Christ, I want you to hear what you are missing out on. I want you to hear what is being said that you do not enjoy because it is lacking from your life. So I'm going to be preaching to these groups. One is going to be, isn't it nice? One is, Look what you can, you're going to be able to enjoy as you grow in your walk with Christ. And one is, don't you wish you had it? So it starts off saying this. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty uh, deception. According to the traditions of man, according to the uh, element, elementary principles, I've read this a dozen times, I'm sorry, elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So I went ahead and threw this in here. This is, this is kind of pre-warm-up scripture. But it's actually really deep. And I'm going to try not to spend but so much time here so we can move forward. See that, see to it that no one takes you captive. Now there again, I told you we'd be referring back to Matthew. In Matthew 7, and what we would have preached on if we hadn't been here, starting in 15, it starts off with, Beware of false prophets. He's saying the same thing. Beware 
see to it that you do not get taken, captured. When we think of, of old slavery and how people were just people busting into someone's house or, 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 or their whatever they would be living in and just snatching them out of bed and then toting them off and chaining them up and putting them into some kind of slavery, that's the form of captivity we're talking about here. Don't let philosophy and empty deception capture you. Now, what, what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, we have a couple of different things. There's always false religion, right? There's always false religion. You have, obviously, the cults, the major cults like uh, Mormonism or Jehovah Witnesses. You have that kind of false teaching, that kind of thing that would draw you away. You have the Catholic Church that will draw you away with their tradition of man. I heard a Catholic say it earlier. I've heard people who, who have uh, converted to Catholicism say it's the smells and bells. It's that tradition that they have that attracts some people. They put tradition above the word of God. Don't get captured by that. Don't get captured by the ideas that other people have. What do we tend to do as, as sinful human beings? You think, you know, I kind of like tradition. Okay, let's say tradition. I like tradition. I'm a really traditional person. So then when somebody comes in and they say, hey, traditional is great. It has all, And what does it do? It reinforces what you want to hear to begin with, doesn't it? And then you think, oh, man, that's well. That's great. And you wind up falling for empty deception. You also have postmodernism, which we live in today, which basically says there is no truth. And you say, oh, well, you know, ain't nobody around here going to believe that. But there again, the culture in which we live tells you this over and over again. There's no real truth. You do you. The, the culture in which we live tells us that, you know, if this is what makes you happy, you do that. But I like a church that lifts me up. I want a church that's constantly telling me how great I are. I even know people who want to be insulted all the time. Preacher, make my toes hurt. That's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit, son. Walk with Christ and your toes will hurt. Walk with Christ and you'll see where you are lacking and you're, you, you'll have your toes stepped on. You'll have your toes stepped on. But it's philosophy it's an idea, it's a tradition that says, hey, you know, this is what is supposed to happen. This is how it's supposed to come down. There is no truth. How many of us have fallen for this lie, if not totally, but to a certain extent? 
well, you know, that's, that's them. You just let them do that, you know. I'm not really, you know, I know, I know it's not right, but I... Sometimes we use it as an excuse. We use the, the, the postmodern mindset to get out of evangelism, don't we? It's really not my place. Are they here? Yes. Am I here? Yes. Do I have the gospel and saved by Jesus Christ? Yes. Well, then it's my job to share it. The Great Commission doesn't say, when you feel like it, it says, as you go. It doesn't even say, go. It says, as you go. The assumption is, everywhere you are, you're making disciples, teaching them, baptizing them. There is a truth. His name is Christ. His name is Jesus. There is a Christ. I mean a Christ, of course. There is a truth. Not just my truth, not just your truth, but the truth. Spiritualism. Yeah, I don't think we deal with spiritualism as much as other areas, but it, it's around. It is definitely around. Britain's looking at me, bug eyes. I'm thinking like out west, you know, Arizona is real bad for that kind of stuff. But anyways, we, we see where people want to go to a Ouija board. We want to see where people want to pray to their ancestors. We see where people want to get comfort they want to find comfort. They know there's something more to this world than what's directly in front of them, but they don't want Christ. They want something else. That's a philosophy. A lot of these places have a secret truth. Come join us. We'll, we'll let you know. We'll let you know. You, but but, but, but you, can't, you can't know until, we, until you join us. We're not going to let you in until you start giving us X amount of dollars, right? I'm, I'm, my mind goes to the cult of Scientology immediately. Like, you have to pay them to move forward. Vain philosophies, empty deceptions, according to the traditions of man. Man has always, since the fall, wanted to come up with some way to explain things around him that take out God. They can replace it with something different. And so, there's also a false savior theology, I think. Okay? And you see this, especially with our politicians. This guy's going to save us. That woman's going to save us. This politician's going to save us. We see it not just in politics and on a, on a broader scale. We also see it in our own lives. How many of you had the thought or are having the thought, if only I got to this place, I'd be okay. If only I was doing that, I'd be okay. If only. What are you saying? If, 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 if. That is my salvation. That if only I could, that's my salvation. 
Instead of finding comfort and joy in Christ, we find, we find it in, in what is unknown even. Some people have a real deterrent. You know, they, they don't like change. And then others love change because they feel like if only this would change, I'd, I'd be okay. We know that isn't true because why? You're still bringing in that sinfulness with it. We know that there's not a man who can save you because the man who can save you has already come and has already handled that business. And so, for us as Christians, I used to wonder, how does the devil fool Christians? Like, like that doesn't make sense to me. It makes more sense to me now, not because I understand it better, I think, but because I've seen it so often. I've seen it so often now. It, it makes a little more sense to me. So as those of us who have been walking with Christ for a time, you are still able to be fooled and set off course, not, not lose your salvation, but set off a course that draws you closer to Christ by false doctrines, false uh, uh, teachings, elementary, elementary principles. Now, this could be taken two different ways. Uh, one is like the ABCs of life, so to speak. Um, that makes sense. One I like a little bit better, and I'm being honest, this is just a, a preference here, but the understanding that I like a little bit better is uh, the elemental spirits. Some of you may even have that in your scripture. Instead of elementary principles, you may have elemental spirits. And that would be, y'all remember Captain Planet? Wind, fire, earth. Yeah, whatever. So, so, you know, or 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 what is it? The uh, the little Asian fella that can manipulate the elements, and there's a whole cartoon thing based around it. We have this mentality in our minds, as well as modern Americans, that there are spiritual natures. A lot of Indian religions were based off of the spirits being within nature. A lot of Celtic religions. A lot of pagan religions <laughs> said that there are spirits in these things. And we've modified it to our modern sensibilities. We've moved on since that time. And we've come up with these even more ridiculous things in my mind. Don't, don't let this, especially parents, don't be drawn off by these things. Don't be misled by these things. Because if you're misled by these things, your kids will be misled by these things. Girls who are about to be baptized, listen. Hold fast. This ends with this. The uh, elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. Hold on to Jesus Christ with everything you have. Do not let go. Have y'all ever seen bull riding? 
You need to hold on to that. You need to hold on to Christ firmer and stronger than these people hold on to those bulls. And they're trying. They're trying. You need to hold on to Jesus. Do not let him go. There are going to be things in this world they are going to tell you, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem right. Juniper, Alyssa, that doesn't seem right that the world was created in six days. It doesn't seem right that animals are so diverse and they're going to try to teach you evolution. And they're going to try to teach you that God could not have done this. And they're going to try to teach you that that is fine at church, but don't take it into the world. Don't take it to your dance class. Don't take it to school. Don't take it here or there. Leave that be at church. Girls, hold on to Christ with every ounce of energy you have. Congregation, hold on to Christ with every ounce that you have. Lost people, young people, old people, I don't know who's saved in here. If you don't know Christ, you have nothing to hold on to. The world is bucking you around. The world is, is, is shifting sand. You don't have anything to hold on to because one day they tell you butter is unhealthy for you, then it's better than margarine. One day this is good for you and that's not. One day this and then that. And then they look at you and say, it's the science. Now, I have no problem with science. What I have a problem with is when we try to substitute our opinions and then claim it's science and then tell you, then that's what is because some man said so. Don't let the world buck you around. Hold fast to Christ. And those who don't know him are being bucked around. You may be being bucked around right now. You feel the urge of, of what I'm saying. You feel the urgency of what I'm saying, but yet your sin is pulling you back. It won't let you go, will it? That sin won't let you go. You're trying, you'd, and if you could, you'd be saved. But unless you turn to Christ, it won't happen. And that sin will get you every single time. Turn to Christ. Paul says at one point that, uh, and, well, uh, second. 2 Corinthians 11.3, he says, But I am afraid that as the uh, uh, serpent deceived Eve by the uh, craftiness, by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The enemy will try to pull you away from Christ, guys. The enemy will pull on you. You do not let go of Jesus. Do not let go of Jesus. Now, here's the good part. For he, 
For in him all the fullness of deity dwelt, dwells in bodily form. In Christ, in Jesus, God and man are one. He is 100% God, 100% man, and he dwelled on earth on our behalf. You can't live the life he did. You can't. It's impossible. But he lived the life that you couldn't. Why? So that you may be saved. So that you may know him one day. So that you may dwell with him one day. Now Paul says that it is no longer I who live in Galatians. It is no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. So if Christ lives within us, and all that is deity dwelled within Christ, if he is full of God because he is God, and he lives within us, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we have God in us. And in, and in him, you have been made complete. Why? Because there's nothing lacking in Jesus Christ. There's nothing lacking in Jesus. And when he, you have a hold of him, and you are just not letting go, your knuckles are white from grabbing on to your Savior. You are complete. Why? Because He is perfect and He is in you and He completes you and you have nothing lacking. I don't feel like other people. Good! I don't think like other people. Good! I'm not this or I'm not that. God made you and he saved you and you are complete. You don't need the world to tell you how precious you are. If the world tells you how precious you are, I guarantee you they're using you. Get your acceptance from the world and you will be used and abused. Get your acceptance from Christ and you will be complete lacking in nothing this is a truth that, that should penetrate our hearts and make us cry when we think about how sinful we are and yet God says there's nothing lacking in you because I dwell with you we are complete and he is the head over all the rulers and authorities. What does that mean? It means he's king of king and lord of lords. Amen? This is what we talk about on Sunday. The book of Matthew is telling you who is king. Christ is king. That's the whole point of the book of Matthew. The, 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 the season and time that we're in right now, we're declaring, behold the king. We come to church not to be happy, not to be this or that, not to have everybody look at you and tell you how pretty you look today, but so that you can sit and worship a God who is complete and you are worshiped and loving of him. Behold the king with us today. Girls, 
There again, girls, he loves you. And I believe after having conversations with each of you that you love him. Never forget his place as king. And as king, because you also can call him what? Abba, Father. You can walk into the most powerful place in the universe, the throne room of God, and say, Father, I'm hurting. Father, people are telling me things, and I, 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 I don't want to believe it, but it, I, I don't know. It, it just, it, it's calling to me. You can walk into the throne room and say, Father, I need you. Oh, how I need you. I've brought this up a handful of times, but the picture of one of uh, Kennedy's youngins playing under his desk. Men were afraid to walk into the room with Kennedy because he was the president of the United States of America, and yet his son is under his desk playing with toys. And we get to serve the king of the universe, the one who speaks all of creation into existence. And we get to play under his desk. We get to walk into his presence, and we don't need to make appointments. We don't have to say, oh, Lord, Gabriel, can I have an appointment with the Father at 7 next Thursday? our heads and we close our eyes and we say, Father, you are over everything. He's not going to win one day in the future. He's already won. He is already the King of kings, Lord of lords. He's already sitting on his throne. Go to him. Run to him. Never let go of Christ. Sorry if you don't have that comfort. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know where I'd be without it. If I didn't have that comfort of Christ, that comfort of knowing that I could go to the Father, I don't know where I'd be without it. Girls, church. Girls, you are a part of the church. Always go to the Father. Always go to the King. Before you go even to Mama and Daddy, and I want you to go to Mama and Daddy, right? I want you, if you have a hard time, if something is, is tough on you, I want you to go to your parents. But go to the Father first off and foremost. Because as much as I love you and as much as I want to be there for you, I am still sinful man. And he is perfect and holy. Oh, he is he holy. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh 
by the circumcision of Christ. Now, I'm not going to get into details here, but we understand circumcision was an Old Testament where they removed some flesh from someone, marking them as a child of, of God. They were Israel, if you had that occur, if, if, if they removed a chunk of flesh from the men of that time. What this is saying is that when we follow God, when we are Christ, when we are, this is what happens. He circumcises you, not just a, flesh, the, a, a piece of flesh. The old man dies and a new man takes his place. He cuts away the worldly flesh. Is that, is that clear? It's cut away. There is no more. It's gone. It's gone. And 12 illustrates this. Having been buried with him in baptism. We get to do baptism today. Praise the Lord. We get to do baptism today. And he says being buried with him in baptism. The old man dies. The old man is taken under. He is dead. That is the circumcision of the flesh. God is cutting it away. And what comes out just like Jesus coming up from the tomb is a new person. A new person. And like Christ was baptized. We've talked about this in the past, if you remember. Christ was baptized. What was he doing? He was prophesying. In his baptism, he was prophesying. He said that he would be buried and then one day resurrect. In baptism, ladies, we are buried and we are resurrected anew. We are resurrected anew. I told y'all, th this, this isn't in literature anywhere. This is just a David Brock thing. One of my favorite things about a baptism is to watch somebody come up out of the water and you see them go, <gasps> Why? Well, they, 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 they've been under the water for about two seconds and they, you know, they're treating it like it's been an hour. But, you know. <laughs> but it's that new, it's that first breath of new life. It's how I imagine Adam came to life when, G, when God breathed. He just goes, <gasps> that breath of resurrection. God has breathed a new breath. Let me rephrase that. God has breathed new life, not new breath. God has breathed new life into you. And you come up from the water and for the first time, you breathe as a Christian. Now, obviously, I don't want to make any confusion. This is all symbolic. It's not the baptism isn't what's saving you but it is a physical representation of what is going on in you. As well as a declaration. Having been buried with him in baptism, in 
which you were also raised up with him through faith in the work of God, in the working of God. We're all going to die one day. We're all going to die one day. Some of us die twice. Right? Some of us die twice. Those who are baptized, who believe in Christ, are die to ourselves. And the only reason we're able to come up from that, the only reason we're able to even have this occur is because of the work of God and Jesus Christ on the cross. It is the work on the cross that allows us to be saved. It is our faith in Him that allows us to be able to see that work, acknowledge that work, and that work brings us out of the water, brings us out a new man. who raised him from the dead. So just like Jesus literally died, went into a tomb, three days, we're not going to hold you under the water for three days, I promise, and then brings, he comes back, he resurrects. Jesus wakes from the dead. You, old man, have died and resurrected. Now, I know some of us have been baptized. But have you genuinely been brought back to life as the new man? Or was it just a dip? Was it just a swim in a pond? A little tiny pool in the back of the that's where most of us were baptized, right? The little pool behind the, the, the pulpit. If you're lucky, it was heated. Have you been brought back to life by the working of Jesus Christ? Are you a new person roaming the world? When you were dead in your transgressions, and the uncircumcision of the flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. To simply put that, he saved us from our sins. We were walking as dead men, as zombies upon this world, full of death, destruction, damnation. He, we were walking on this world full of darkness, hatefulness, greed, lying, adulterous murderers. And one day, God snatches you from death. He snatches us from death, forgiving us of our sin, forgiving us of our transgressions against Him, forgiving us of what we have done to Him. 
There again, I always like to point towards this, where David says, it is you and you alone, O God, have I sinned. Why does David say, you know, we, we know the story. He cheated, uh, or he, yeah, he cheated, but, but you know, he, he stole another man's wife. Then he has that man killed because he's trying to hide his, his sin. How many of you have, don't nod your head because everybody would be nodding their head. How many of us have sinned and then sin again to hide the original sin? And you say, well, didn't he sin against Uriah and Bathsheba and the, the nation of Israel? Yes, but he sinned against God. Why? He can say that I sinned against God only because it is God's rule that he has come against. And when you come against God's rule, it affects others. When you come against God's rules, it affects others. And, and, and we've done that. We've done that as, a, as individuals, as a people. And even though we were once enemies of God, you say, I'm not God's enemy. Well, no, not if you're saved. Not now. But you once were. Those who are unsaved say, I'm not an enemy against God. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But those we were once enemies, those who are enemies, he saves. And it's not that you have to go to him and say, Lord, Lord, look, at, look how great I am now. I've done A, B, C, and D. Now can you save me? No, he saves us on faith alone. He saves us on faith alone. We put our lives in his hands. And he does all the work. Work that we couldn't do even if we wanted to try. Having canceled out our certificate of debt concerning, uh, consisting of decrees against us. Everybody in this room deserves hell. The decree against you, the punishment that has been determined for you is hell. Unless what? Unless Christ saves you. Unless you turn to him. And then he clears that debt. He cleared that debt there on the cross where he paid for that. For you. For me. He settled our debt. You know, the, the, the old analogy, everybody's probably heard this, but I'll say it anyway, because I'm a preacher and I'm supposed to use preacher analogies. A man goes into the courtroom, he's broken all kinds of traffic laws, he has a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of fines, and the judge gets down and he says, can you pay these? And, and, and the man can't pay them, and so the judge gets down, from his bench because here 
I'll pay for this. The man couldn't have paid for it. It was impossible. But here's this judge. And then, you know what else is pretty cool about that? Say it's a very young man. The judge brings him into his home and adopts him as his son. He doesn't just pay the fine. He brings him in as his own. And this young man hated the judge beforehand. You know how young people are who, who do a lot of wrong. It's everybody else's fault. And if he goes to jail, it's the judge's fault. And if, you know, that's how we are. That ain't my fault. That's whose fault. That ain't my fault I stole that car. It ain't my fault I did these drugs. I've got daddy issues. And then here you go. God adopts you into the family. Pays for a sin, adopts you into the family. Man, this is great. This isn't... We hear the term gospel, right? When we preach the gospel. Pre preach the gospel. How many of us actually know like a definition of the gospel? And some of you, if you're really educated, you'll say, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. But what's the good news? The good news is that we have our debt forgiven because God paid it himself. That's the good news. The good news is there's forgiveness for each and every one of us. The good news is that we don't have to sit there and pay for these things. You, they're, they're, um, there's the parable of the, the, the man who goes before the king and he, say, you know, and he owes the king money and he can't pay him back. The king forgives his debt. And then he goes back and he goes to another servant. He jacks him up against the walls. I'm like, hey man, you owe me money. What does that do? It makes all the servants mad at him, right? That king did not have to forgive that servant. The whole idea behind that, by the way, just so I'm not taken out of context, um, the whole idea behind that is that the, the king forgives our debts, therefore we ought to forgive others. But I'm using it as an example of here we've got the king forgives you when you do not deserve it when you cannot earn it and so he has canceled concerning of decrees against us which was hostile to us he was taken he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. Your debt and my debt against God, if you accept Jesus Christ, that is nailed to the cross. That is nailed to the cross. Girls, do you understand your sin, the punishment for your sin has been nailed to the cross? Congregation, do you know that you can always look back to the testimony of your baptism, to know what God has done for you. 
what we can always look at these ladies and, and, and look back towards today and say, what are you doing? Do you remember your baptism? As, as they are being baptized, they are making a declaration saying that I am a follower of Christ and I have been made new, that I have died to the old self and I have been resurrected a new person. The old life has been circumcised, cut away, and what is left is a godly following person who does not bear the weight of their sin because their Savior had been nailed to the cross. What does that mean for us as a church, though? It means we'll always be able to look at these ladies and say, hey, do you remember your baptism? Do you remember what you were saying on that day? Do you remember what we were saying on that day? We were saying that we're here for you. That we will always be here for you. That we are a family. Look back to the day of your baptism. Understand that you don't have to fall into, into lies of the world. That you don't have to believe things of, of ungodly nature. That you can hold fast to Christ and we're here with you to help you through that. Some of us, some of us live in a, such a way that we would not go to each other for reliance and help and we barely go to God because we have forgotten our baptisms, have we not? Let's remember our baptisms. Remember what God has done for us. Remember how we have made a, a declaration of what Christ has done for us to each other. When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he, he made a public display of the um, this hold on I've got them excuse me them having triumphed over them through him the rulers of this world and I'm not talking about presidents and governors and that kind of thing we're talking about spiritual government, so to speak. We're talking about the things that we cannot see around us. The influences of the world. And on that cross, Christ defeated them all. On that cross, Christ defeated them all. So you don't have to go back into worldly traditions and, 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 and uh, philosophies. You can hold tight to what God has given you here and now. 
One of the reasons we gather the way we have is so that we can come together for Jesus. Amen? Let's not, let's not take this lightly. Let's continue down the road of serving and loving Christ. And let's see that these girls are just the beginning of baptisms in the church. Let's have more baptism-centered sermons. Church, keep this in mind. Keep this in mind so that we can help guide them. Those who have not accepted this yet, Lord, I pray that you just bear down on someone. Guys, today is a day of celebration. Let's act like it. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for loving us the way you have. For giving us your word to encourage us, to remind us, to, to give us the gospel. To show us what baptism is. To, to, so that we may be in sync with you, that we are following your, what you have laid before us. Lord, I pray that if anyone in this room does not know you, that you will open their eyes and their hearts to this message. Lord, be with the church so that they remember what this is about. And be with these girls as they get to experience a celebration today. Lord, I thank you so much for saving these little girls, for saving us in this church, for giving us your word, for giving a song in our heart to sing, for giving us each other so that we could have this day of worship. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. Amen.